from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. I'm Bill Ritter. We're going to begin with New York City now urging residents to report illegal housing conditions. It comes after dozens of migrants were found living in cramped and dangerous conditions at two locations. One store in the Bronx, that happened yesterday. The second in Richmond Hill, Queens, earlier in the week. As it happens, the same landlord was in both places, as Eyewitness News reporter Anthony shows us. Carlo. Very unusual, you know, to find some people uh, living in a store, you know. Mazen Ali is a vendor who works right next to this store on East Kingsbridge Road, now with a vacate order on the door after dozens of West African migrants were found living there. They were booted yesterday. Sometimes they boot, you know, they, their waist and in front of the store, and yeah, it's kind of very bad thing, you know. The second time in a week, migrants were found living in cramped, unsafe retail locations. One in Queens and one in the Bronx, illegally converted to sleeping quarters. E-bikes, hot plates and space heaters all found. A fire hazard for the migrants and those living near them. Other people are suffering, you know, because of the situation. One of the migrants kicked out of the Bronx store, Falou, did not want to show his face, but tells me it was the best available option. No house, no, no living in no house, dormitory, no. After work, he was camped out on the streets, he says, after hitting his 30-day shelter limit. So there was a limit? Yes. And you had to go find housing again? Yes. The limit created by the Adams administration to make room for newcomers. But whether it's leading to illegal setups? I don't know that I can draw a direct correlation. What I can say is that over 60% of our population have taken steps to move into other places. To the extent that we find out that individuals are living in an unsafe condition, we will do what we have done. The city issuing the landlord four violations, each worth a max of 25 grand. He says he'll deal with that as long as he can keep helping migrants. Did you have any hesitations or concerns, though, about housing them in an overcrowded, you know, illegally converted space? Uh, the place, you know, is safer than being outside. And Mr. Sarr was charging those migrants $300 a month to seek shelter in his stores. Question now is how much will he wind up paying the city in fines? In Fordham, the Bronx, Anthony Carlo, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. Anthony Carlo, thank you for that. Uh, Texas two-step of sorts today as both President Biden and former President Trump traveling to the U.S.-Mexico border. Immigration, of course, a key issue in the 2024 presidential race. The dueling border visits today come as the White House considers new restrictions on border asylum claims. And the former president returns to a theme that helped propel his campaign eight years ago. ABC's M. Nguyen joins us now live from Washington. M. Hey, Bill. Yeah, this is President Biden's second trip to the border since he took office. His predecessor has been to the border more than half a dozen times. A made-for-TV split-screen moment, the optics of politics at the southern border. President Joe Biden and GOP presidential frontrunner Donald Trump both in Texas today. Record-setting unauthorized border crossings, one of the top issues with voters. President Biden meeting Border Patrol agents and first responders in the border city of Brownsville, Texas. The president blaming congressional Republicans for killing a bipartisan bill to fix the border crisis with new funding. 
But Trump had denounced the bill even before it was released, saying it wasn't strong enough to secure the border. Critics say Trump did not want to allow President Biden to fix the border before the election. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with the issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. But GOP lawmakers quick to criticize Biden for visiting Brownsville, saying conditions are far more dire in countless other border cities. Why would he go to the 29th ranked hotspot? Because he doesn't really want to see the reality. Trump today about 300 miles away in Eagle Pass, Texas, where the surge of migrants is greater. Now you take a look at the jails throughout the region, but more importantly throughout the world. They're emptying out because they're dumping them into the United States. Trump is promising mass deportations of migrants if he becomes president again. And with Congress still deadlocked on any kind of border reform, President Biden is considering taking executive action to address the migrant influx bill. It's so confusing to most Americans, myself included, Em, because, you know, listen, th this bill that was on the table to be passed really fast uh, was what Republicans had wanted for all these years. And they listened to Mr. Trump, who said, no, we, we don't want to do this. And the president said, you know, we didn't want to do it because they didn't want to give anybody a victory before the election. That's exactly right. So there's a lot of confusion here on Capitol Hill because that bipartisan border security deal did have a lot of the provisions that Republicans had wanted to see. They had been asking for it for months. And finally, it was in this bill, but then it was killed by both Senate and House Republicans. Now, there was certainly a stark difference between the two sides that we saw today. Bill, we, of course, heard from Trump. He struck a tone uh, that evoked a bit of fear, a bit of chaos. He called the in flux of the border crossings, an invasion and a migrant crime wave. He placed that blame solely on President Biden. And then we heard Biden's tone, which was very different yeah. from Trump. He kind of talked about the use of democracy to pass laws. And he did something you kind of heard right there in that package uh, bill, which was reaching out directly to Mr. Trump to send a message and say, hey, we can work together to pass bipartisan border security reform on Capitol Hill. Use this get this through right now because he said directly to Mr. Trump, this is probably going to be the biggest border security deal that we're ever going to see in the last at least decade or so. Bill. And the brutal reality, M, is that Americans want to see this, want reform for their immigration in this country, no question. Uh, ABC's M. Nguyen, as always, great reporting. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Uh, time now for Lee Goldberg. And Lee, I want to tell you, <laughs> it feels like March 1st. I don't care what the calendar says. It feels like March 1st. But it is amazing because you look at all these bushes outside and little things are sprouting up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely see the crocus is starting to peek through a little mm -hmm. bit. And it, yeah, it won't be long before the bulbs start coming up, especially when you're talking about temperatures going forward in the 50s. The problem is we're going to have limited sunshine. That's the challenge over the next week or so. Tomorrow will be the sunniest day of the seven days. So we have one more chilly night and morning and then March comes in like a lamb. It's the end of meteorological winter. Winter. What does that mean? When we talk about seasons, there are a few that we refer to in weather and meteorology. We like to look at the annual temperature cycle. So every year, spring,
spring starts March 1st, so it's March, April, and May. The solar spring, which we talked about earlier in February, arrived on February 5th, that's the quarter of the year where you get a spike in the amount of daylight. So we're in the midst of that now. We're, we're gaining about two and a half minutes of daylight each day. Astronomical spring, that's what you're used to based on the position of the Earth in relation to the sun. And that this year, it actually comes a little early on the 19th of March. So under clear skies right now and a beautiful view of Midtown and One World Trade behind me over to New Jersey, we're at 39 degrees. A northwest wind is still a little busy, but it's definitely backing off. But you need a heavy coat tonight because wind gusts above 20 miles an hour is still going to be pretty common as we go through the first part of the evening. After midnight, we'll drop it off. And by morning, the winds are very light, maybe four to eight miles an hour. Numbers will be dropping through the 20s in many of our suburbs tonight. We're already there in Liberty, New York, and you can see that we'll even have some teens well north and west. So it is cold tomorrow morning, but the afternoon should feel quite pleasant with that March sunshine, sunshine and just a few fair weather or just a few high clouds, I should say. Tomorrow's the sunniest day in the seven day. We're back above average, but unfortunately there's a storm that's going to park itself off the mid-Atlantic coast, and that's going to be a thorn in our side over the weekend. So it's mild but unsettled. If I have to target one of the days of the weekend as being better, it would be Sunday. I don't think we're seeing much sun, but I think the rain will shut off. It's been snow downwind of Lake Ontario and Lake Erie. There's been over a foot of snow just north of Syracuse in that band. High pressures moving in. Our winds are getting lighter, but this high is only able to protect us for one day. This is the low right here. It'll go to the Mid-Atlantic and just park there for Saturday, Sunday, and even into early next week. Overnight, we'll have mainly clear skies. Wake up to bright sunny skies, but it is cold. That cold will ease during the afternoon, which is some high clouds coming in, especially south and west. Probably will be a pretty sunset. Temperatures will be in in the mid and upper 40s. Those clouds will thicken tomorrow night. Your Friday night plans, you don't need the umbrella, but if you're an early riser on Saturday, there could be a couple of slick spots well north and west. Light rain and drizzle starts to come in, and then I just think it's a damp day. We're around 50, 40s in many of our suburbs, and with the low offshore, there may actually be some heavier rain that brushes along our coastline. Lighter rain inland, but steady rain from the city south and east. The good news is the main piece of that low ejects eastward in the Atlantic on Sunday, and we just have a touch of drizzle early, and much of the day is just mostly cloudy. Monday, a little spot drizzle, and finally that low is kicked away on Tuesday. That's a day we should just be mostly cloudy, but we should be dry. The next front comes in by later Wednesday with more rain, and a week from now, potential for a soaking rain. That would be our next opportunity for an AccuWeather alert. 30 tonight, clear and cold, the wind drops off. For tomorrow, it's a high of 47, a chilly start, sun mixing with some high, thin clouds during the afternoon, but a pretty nice first afternoon of March. 41 tomorrow night, we cloud up, some light rain or drizzle comes in late at night. It could be a light icy mix briefly far north and west. On Saturday, rain and drizzle only around 50. Not the best day. Sunday's a better day if you have to be outdoors. It's mostly cloudy, but we're in the upper 50s and we should be dry after a little damp start. On Monday, a touch of drizzle, but not a washout. Tuesday's mostly cloudy, 58. The clouds thicken on Wednesday. Late day rain, but it looks like a soaking rain Wednesday night into Thursday. That could be an AccuWeather alert. We'll nail that down as we get closer. In the meantime, I'll watch the forecast and have an update at 11 o'clock. Bill? And those temperatures, all 40s in the bottom? No, it's, it's like late March, early April, yeah. Just amazing. All right. Thank you, Lee. We'll see you in a bit. Lithium-ion battery fires from e-bikes and scooters, sparking, we know, danger and sometimes death in New York City. It is a crisis, according to the fire department. Well, today, city leaders taking a step forward to prevent those fires and helping out delivery workers at the same time. As Eyewitness News reporter Lindsay Tuckman shows us, several e-charging stations are now up and running in the city with more on the way. Put it in like that. Close the door. Now we wait. This is a public e-bike charging site in Cooper Square, the first in the city's new pilot program to be tested with delivery workers. We are hoping then to do the job 
in a safer uh, environment. To hold support of delivery workers and to promote safe charging of electrical bikes. The transportation department, in partnership with private companies, will be installing technology like this, and this, and this, in five locations. Here in the East Village, along with Sunset Park, the Lower East Side, Washington Heights, and downtown Brooklyn. All areas with a high amount of deliveries and therefore a lot of electric bikes. Delivery apps, they push, they push workers to, to move uh, uh, in, in a very far distance. So that's why we need uh, the electric bicycle. But with that comes danger. Fires caused by charging lithium-ion batteries indoors have become all too common. Just this past Friday, a fire in Harlem killed one and injured 17 others. That's the first fatality this year. But last year, a total of 268 fires were caused by such batteries, injuring 150 and killing 18. Here's FDNY Commissioner Laura Cavanaugh. Projects like this are going to save lives, save lives of our delivery workers, of our citizens, and of our first responders who have seen these tragic fires happen in their buildings. The six-month pilot program is part of the mayor's Charge Safe, Ride Safe initiative. The city plans to recruit around 100 delivery workers in the coming days and will be monitoring how often and when these charging sites are used in order to determine if the pilot should be rolled out permanently citywide. Those who are interested can sign up for free on the DOT website. In Cooper Square, Lindsay Tuckman, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. This is really just great. By the way, fires sparked by lithium-ion batteries are a major topic that we covered in this year's Operation 7 Save a Life. If you missed it, no worries. You can see the whole thing right here on ABC7NY. Just scan the code, code you see right there at the bottom of your screen. You'll get right to the special. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, the problem with plastic. It's one of the main components in our convenient culture, but it drastically affects the environment. How? Well, there are now new measures to crack down on plastic pollution. We'll tell you why as we take a deeper dive. Tonight, we're going to turn our attention to something that you deal with every day. I do every day. Everyone does. Plastic packaging. Plastic, of course, revolutionized the way we preserve food. We know that. Plastic packaging is lightweight, it's cheap to make, it's engineered to be versatile and durable. It's convenience makes it indispensable. But, and it's a big but, there's a massive drawback. The harm that plastics cause to our environment. With that in mind, there's new legislation, and it's looking at dramatically reducing the amount of plastic in shipments and on store shelves, in New York State at least. It's called the Packaging Reduction and Recycling Infrastructure Act. The legislation would shift penalties to the plastics producers, charge businesses fees depending on how much plastic is used in their packaging, and allow state regulators to fine companies as much as $1,000 for violations. So we want to talk to someone who knows all about this. Joining us tonight, Kate Donovan with the Natural Resources Defense Council. Kate, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. All right, so, you know, listen, we like plastics. I mean, I grew up watching uh, The Graduate. And the guy, the friend of, uh, of the stars, D Dustin Hoffman, playing Benjamin, says, Benjamin, I got one word for you as you get graduate college. Plastics. <laughs> because that was a big deal just coming on the scene. Plastics are everywhere. And they have dramatically simplified our lives. But there are also big concerns. What are your concerns as an environmentalist? Well, you are absolutely correct. And at the sake of convenience or convenience culture, as you as you mentioned, or simplification, um, we have 
some significant concerns on our hands. We have a global plastic pollution crisis. Not only New York's problem, this legislation deals with New York, but the global problem is immense. We produce annually 400 million tons of plastic waste each year, and that number is expected to triple by 2050. Plastic waste uh, clogs our oceans, it uh, pollutes our cities, it perpetuates our reliance on fossil fuel, and, and it really, it puts our health at risk. Can we have plastics that make life easier without polluting the environment? Is that possible? <laughs> well, I think that the legis this legislation goes a couple steps to help that, although we would really, the legislation is really important in terms of reframing why we actually need plastic. We have, these plastics have you know, been exponential in their production, as you mentioned, over the last couple decades. So there was a time where we didn't rely on this many plastics. So this legislation is really important in terms of, as you said, cutting down plastics. But what it is going to do is help incentivize and reinvest and move us towards a reusable and refillable um, alternatives and culture. So uh, and, we're, we're talking about also those little pods, right? The pod, that's a, been a big deal recently because it can get into us, right? That's the problem. Well, I mean, all these types of plastics uh, that are that are used in packaging um, break down over time and are form into, you know, become microplastics that which are invading our body. There is study after study that have been recently um, released about the number of mi microplastics we're consuming in fish, in proteins, in everyday um, popular supermarket foods. Our water bottles contain millions more microplastics than one, you know, once thought. So, you know, there are many health risks and many health problems associated with the exposure to plastics. Uh, real briefly, what, what kind of medical problems would we get from this? Yeah, so I mean, as you mentioned, there's been studies that have linked high levels exposure to plastic pollution from everything from infer infertility to cancer. A recent uh, study actually found that food packaging can be linked to 10% of preterm births. Um, you know, there are lots and lots of reasons to be yeah. concerned about the amount of plastic we're consuming. And just to add one other point, it's also the toxic chemicals that are used in the plastic itself, right? So that, especially we're concerned when it's used on foods, those uh, chemicals can leach out of plastic onto our foods. Um, and so this legislation is really important because it actually bans the most toxic chemicals that are found in plastics. So even if we recycled all this plastic, it would still be chemicals that would get inside us that would could cause cancer or uh, exactly. I, I assume and other things. Yes, and that's exactly the problem with these plastics, these problematic plastics, as we, we talk about in the bill, is that these plastics make it incredibly difficult to recycle because if we wanted to envision perhaps a circular economy where yeah. we are taking some material out of the waste stream and making it into a new product, we can't achieve that safely and effectively if all these toxics are continuing to be added to products. Kate Donovan from the National Resources Defense Council, uh, really bringing some interesting insight into all this. And we thank you for your calm presentation to a thing that really should scare the you-know-what out of us. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining us tonight. We should all learn thank from this. Thanks, Kate. All right. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, Black History Month may be coming to a close, but one trailblazer's legacy lives on in a big way. We're going to show you for the first black graduate from SUNY Cortland. 
and how he still inspires students today. On this last day of Black History Month, tonight a story of perseverance and a deep belief in education. 135 years ago, Abraham Lincoln DeMond, that's him right there, became the first black student to graduate from SUNY Cortland in upstate New York. And for that, he is a legacy at SUNY. We know about DeMond because of his great-grandnephew, Calvin, who just happens to be a member of the Eyewitness News team for, oh, about four decades. He, too, was inspired by his uncle's belief in the importance of higher education. Eyewitness News race and culture reporter Crystal Cranmore has the story. Veteran photographer Calvin DeMond is usually behind the scenes at Channel 7 as an eyewitness to history. Now he's stepping in front of the lens to share a bit of his own. He was a champion of, of the people. Calvin's great-granduncle, Abraham Lincoln DeMond, became the first black person to graduate SUNY Cortland in 1889, formerly known as the Cortland Normal School. In honor of Black History Month, the university held its second annual Abraham Lincoln DeMond Day. It was a moment to stand there and having one of my family members being honored for his academic abilities. DeMond's achievements did not stop in the classroom. He was the principal of the Lincoln School in Fort Payne, Alabama. In a letter published in the Cortland Semi-Weekly Standard in 1893, DeMond describes the school as the first built in the county for white or colored people. In another published letter titled Times Have Changed, DeMond describes the pride he felt addressing a group of black professionals in the Confederate South. This was 1893. I thought that was a very bold move for him at the time. DeMond received a theology degree from Howard University and became a politically active pastor. He delivered this influential speech on African-American rights at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. The same church Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. helped launch the civil rights movement more than 50 years later. Context of what's happening today where the history books are being rewritten, you know, where the significance of what Rosa Parks did is being minimized. This is long before that. Named after former President Abraham Lincoln, DeMond's legacy is the reason students at SUNY Cortland wanted to commemorate him. It does a lot for the black men on campus because we see somebody who looks like us making history. And Calvin, who recently got his master's degree at 66 years old, continues to be inspired by his ancestor. You're never too old. You're never too old to stop learning. Crystal Cranmore, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. You're never too old to stop learning. By the way, you can find information about the Tenement Museum and see our series of Black History Month stories right here on ABC7 and Y. And thank you for Calvin for exposing us to his family way back. As we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, she's been alive for more than 80 years, but today she's marking her 21st birthday. A special leap year celebration. That's next. On this leap day, February 29th, some people are celebrating a few massive milestones. Meet Lottie. She lives at Bristol Assisted Living in North Hills on Long Island. Today she turned 21. Looks pretty good for 21. Lottie is a leap year baby who really considers herself 84, but the community went all out, though, giving her a roaring 20s-themed 21st birthday. And Shantae Land's got to sit with her and ask a very important question. What's the secret to life? <laughs> I don't know. I really wish I did. One thing I can say is that if you're in a place like this and you're always doing things, it makes it it, it makes your life 
better because you're not just sitting and, and thinking about getting older. Happy birthday to you. I think she's got the secret of life. She explained it. Lottie enjoyed some cake, as you can see, along with decor that looked like it came from Tiffany's and a special cocktail that's called the Leap Year Cocktail. Bottoms up. And on that note, <laughs> happy birthday, Lottie. You look great. That wraps up this edition of Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm Bill Ritter. And a reminder, Extra Time is now a podcast, too. You can listen to the show as well as past shows on the go. Search Extra Time at ABC7NY or wherever you stream our podcasts. And on that note, we are back live on Eyewitness News at 11 o'clock tonight, Channel 7. We hope to see you then. Until then, have a great and safe evening.